Welcome to Covenant Reformed Baptist Church. Uh, for our announcements this morning, we only have one uh, other than lunch after between services. Uh, Wednesday the 28th will be our church meeting, Wednesday the 28th. So if you'll put that on your calendar, remember to be here for that. Let's go to our call to worship this morning. <clears throat> I'll be reading from 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1, starting with verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Let's take our hymnals out now and turn to number 49. Number 49, we'll stand and sing, O God, our help in ages past. Hymn number 49. Lord, your word 
word says that when your word is spoken, it does not return to you void. It accomplishes that for unto you send it. We pray this morning that that word would have free course among us and that we would indeed have something of your spirit's help and, and know Lord, your presence here in our midst. We ask that you would inhabit our praises, that you would inhabit our prayers, that you would give them our function. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Our next hymn you'll find in our supplemental, supplemental number 25, We Have an Anchor, and we, you can remain seated as we sing number 25 in the supplemental. Yeah. 
come now to our consecutive reading through the scriptures. Today finds us at 2 Kings chapter 5. 2 Kings chapter 5. We'll be reading about Naaman. Now Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great and honorable man in the eyes of his master, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was also a mighty man of valor, but a leper. And the Syrians had gone out on raids and had brought back captive a young girl from the land of Israel. She waited on Naaman's wife. Then she said to her mistress, If only my master were with the prophet who is in Samaria, for he would heal him of his leprosy. And Naaman went in and told his master, saying, Thus and thus said the girl who is from the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he departed and took with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothing. Then he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which said, Now be advised, when this letter comes to you, that I have sent Naaman, my servant, to you, that you may heal him of his leprosy. And it happened when the king of Israel read the letter that he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and make alive that this man sends a man to me to heal him of his leprosy? Therefore, please consider and see how he seeks a quarrel with me. So it was when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes that he sent to the king, saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Please, let him come to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. <clears throat> then Naaman went with his horses and chariot, and he stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go, and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored to you, and you shall be clean." But Naaman became furious and went away and said, Indeed, I said to myself, He will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and heal the leprosy. Are not the Abana and the Farpah, the rivers of Damascus, much better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. And his servants came near and spoke to him and said, My father, if the prophets had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more then when he says to you, Wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped seven times in the Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. And he returned to the man of God, he and all his aides, and came and stood before him, and he said, Indeed, now I know that there is no God in all the earth except in Israel. Now therefore, please take a gift from your servant. But he said, As the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will receive nothing. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. So Naaman said, 
Then, if not, please let your servant be given two mule loads of earth, for your servant will no longer either offer either burnt offerings or sacrifice to other gods, but to the Lord. Yet in this thing, may the Lord pardon your servant. When my master goes into the temple of Rimmon to worship there, and he leans on my hand, and I bow down in the temple of Rimmon, when I bow down in the temple of Rimmon, may the Lord please pardon your servant in this thing. And then he said to him, Go in peace. So he departed from him a short distance. But Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said, Look, my master has spared Naaman the Syrian while not receiving from his hands what he brought. But as the Lord lives, I will run after him and take something from him. So Gehazi pursued Naaman. When Naaman saw him running after him, he got down from the chariot to meet him and said, Is all well? And he said, All is well. My master has sent me, saying, Indeed, just now two young men of the sons of the prophets have come to me from the mountains of Ephraim. Please give them a talent of silver and two changes of garments. So Naaman said, Please take two talents. And he urged him, and he bound two talents of silver in two bags with two changes of garments and handed them to two of his servants, and they carried them on ahead of him. When he came to the citadel, he took them from their hands and stored them away in the house. Then he let the men go, and they departed. Now when he went in and stood before his master, Elisha said to him, Where did you go, Gehazi? And he said, Your servant did not go anywhere. Then he said to him, Did not my heart go with you when the man turned back from his chariot to meet you? Is it time to receive money and to receive clothing, olive groves and vineyards, sheep and oxen, male and female servants? Therefore, the leprosy of Naaman shall cling to you and your descendants forever. And he went out from his presence, leprous, as white as snow. Oh, beloved, good morning. We're going to spend some time in prayer. A couple of things we want to pray for. Um, let's continue to pray for those who are not well in our midst. Um, it's good to have the Roberts family back. They've been struggling with illness and they're able to be back uh, this Lord's Day. Uh, but I know the Eichmers are not well. Uh, and a few others uh, are not well. Uh, just so good to have our brother Dale back. Um, I know Jim and Cammy and the family are not well either. So we can be praying for those who are not well. Um, and then uh, let's also be praying for uh, Connie and John and Connie's uh, daughter-in-law and son, Laurie and Steve. Uh, Laurie has the diagnosis of uh, leukemia, so we can pray for them. Uh, and then also, uh, I know you folk don't know this brother, um, but uh, Brother Randy Pizzino went to be with the Lord. Actually, I think it was yesterday. He had a stroke and went to be with the Lord. And so we can pray for the Pizzino family, Julie Pizzino. Randy was the uh, pastor of Roanoke uh, Trinity Church in Roanoke. If you remember, John Skeffer was the pastor after him. So uh, Randy is a dear brother. 
uh, served the Lord faithfully, uh, had a real heart for missions and church planting. So let's pray for Julie as she grieves the loss of her husband, but also rejoices that he is he's in the presence of his Savior. So uh, a couple of things we need to pray for apart from them. Let's go to the Lord and seek his face in prayer. Our Father, we thank you that we can come to you this morning, humble ourselves in your presence. We thank you, Lord, that as we come to you, that we have wonderful access into your presence through your Son, our Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for the blood of your Son that cleanses us from all unrighteousness. We thank you for this new and living way that you have opened up for us, a way that can never be closed, this way that enables us to come into your very presence, into your very throne room. Our Father, we lift our hearts to you this morning and we pray that you would be hallowed in our worship. We pray that our worship would be pleasing to you. Father, we pray that you would please save that which is lost in our midst, those who don't know you, those who are not yielding and submitting to your Son, Jesus, that you would save them and draw them to yourself. Lord, we pray that you would glorify and hallow your name in strengthening and encouraging your saints. Some of them are struggling and burdened with many cares and concerns. Help them, Lord, to remember that they can cast their cares upon you, Lord Jesus, because you care for them. And so, Lord, thank you that we can ask you to come into our midst and that we can ask you to grant us through your Spirit that we would see Christ, that we would know that Christ was lifted up for our healing and that by his stripes we are healed and restored. We ask you, Lord, please, that you would be merciful and comfort those who are grieving. Lord, we think particularly... uh, of those who are perhaps not in our congregation. I think of Julie Pizzino, Lord, who uh, is grieving the loss of Randy. Pray that you would comfort uh, Julie and be with the family. And then I also want to pray, Lord, for those who are uh, walking with family members that are not well. Uh, We think of John and Connie and Laurie and and, uh, Steve, and pray that you would please grant mercy uh, upon Laurie, Lord. Grant that the the treatment will be effective and that she would be able to get a report that the cancer has gone into remission, that you would heal her, Lord. Lord, we look to you and pray for your good and perfect will to be done in that family. But we do ask you, she's... She's still young, Lord, and she is a mother of young children, Lord. And we just pray that you would be pleased to preserve and keep her, Father. Be with Steve through this. And then, Lord, we also just think of those who are unable to be with us uh, this morning. We think of those who are not well, that you would uh, grant them the knowledge, Lord, and the understanding that when they're not with us, we hurt, Lord. We We miss them, but Lord, may they know your presence in a very special way. Our Father, we thank you that we can bring these many needs to you. 
But Lord, we will acknowledge as we come to you that our, our greatest need is the power and the presence of your Spirit to bring your Word to bear upon us, to transform us, to conform us more and more into your image, to grant us an understanding of that love that surpasses all understanding, that, that to be rooted and grounded in that love. Father, we, we need your Spirit. We need to see Christ. And we pray, please, Lord, in the preaching of your word, that you would hear our cry. Lord, you know where each and every one of us are. And Lord, you're able to apply your word effectively in the hearts and the souls of every person here. You know every, every thought that is going through every mind. Nothing in all creation is hidden from your eyes. And so I would, I would pray, please, in your mercy, bring your word to bear upon us and glorify your name in our response. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our final hymn before Pastor comes again to preach is number 597. 597 in your hymnal. We'll stand and sing, Fight the Good Fight. Hymn number 597. As you are turning there, I want to remind you that uh, this afternoon we'll be celebrating the Lord's Table. 
And I would encourage you to come and join with us as we come around the Lord's table. I'll be preaching from Hebrews chapter 10 and considering the matter of our access to God. Our access to God through our new and living way in Christ Jesus. So please join us for that. But uh, for today I want us to consider Proverbs chapter 7. And I'm going to start reading from verse 1 to the end of the chapter. And I'm reading from the New King James. My son, keep my words and treasure my commands within you. Keep my commands and live. And my law is the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablets of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister and call understanding your nearest kin. That they may keep you from the immoral woman, from the seductress who flatters with her words. Verse 6, for at the window of my house, I looked through, the, through my lattice and saw among the simple. I perceived among the youths a young man devoid of understanding. Passing along the street near her corner, and he took the path to her house. In the twilight, in the evening, in the black and dark night. And there a woman met him with the attire of a harlot and a crafty heart. She was loud and rebellious. Her feet would not stay at home. At times she was outside, at times in the open square, lurking at every corner. So she caught him and kissed him. With an impudent face she said to him, I have peace offerings with me. Today I have paid my vows. So I come out to meet you diligently to seek your face and I have found you. I have spread my bed with tapestry, colored coverings of Egyptian linen. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes and cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill of love until the morning. Let us delight ourselves with love. For my husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He has taken a bag of money with him and will come home on the appointed day. With her enticing speech, she caused him to yield. With her flattering lips, she seduced him. Immediately, he went after her as an ox goes to the slaughter or as a fool to the correction of the stocks till an arrow struck his liver. As a bird hastens to the snare, he did not know it would cost his life. Verse 24, now therefore listen to me, my children, pay attention to the words of my mouth. Do not let your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths, for she has cast down many wounded and all who were slain by her were strong men. Her house is the way to hell, descending to the chambers of death. And God be pleased to. Bless the reading of Holy Scripture. Well, I have entitled my message this morning, Wisdom's Warning Against the Adulterer and the Fornicator. So in the last message that I preached we looked at the danger of adultery and we saw that the danger of adultery can really be seen in the heart that will not submit to God's authority and it is seen in an unwillingness to submit to parental authority. That's the root of it. Now, 
I want to encourage us. I want us to see how Solomon lays this matter out fully before us. How important it is for us to bring ourselves under the yoke of the authority God has put us under. Solomon stresses that to escape the snare of adultery and the adulterous spirit, we must be rooted and grounded in the Word of God. Now this is the final exhortation on this subject that Solomon deals with in full. He's dealt with it three other occasions. But he wants to make plain to us the the serious dangers. And again, remember who's speaking to us. It's Solomon. It reminds me of the text right at the end. It says, she has brought down many strong. And Solomon, sadly, was one of those strong that she brought down. But he wants to make plain the unfaithful wife's seductive craft in ensnaring the young, foolish son. And what he does for us here is he sets before us what I believe is an eyewitness account of how alluring, how lavish, how tantalizing the seductress is in her hunt for the souls of men. He recounts her seductive images, dining on the finest meats, the rarest of spices, lovemaking on a lush bed mixed with images of an ox and a stag going to the slaughter or a bird darting into a trap. And in the end, with all the human senses intoxicated, Solomon shows us how this seductress brings the soul into hell or into death. The dress of the son by the father mustn't be missed as a compassionate, loving address. A deep concern, deep love and fear for his young son to deliver him from a woman, an adulterous spirit that is against all that he had blessed his son with by bringing the commands and the scriptures to bear upon him. By raising his son in a community that loves God and walks in righteousness. And so he vividly sets the stage and the characters up that the son needs to be aware of. And almost though in danger of setting it before him so tantalizingly. And the son being enticed by those images. He brings the sting in and he shows how deadly this is. And he is Hope and his desire is that his son would be repelled and will see the adulteress for her evil ways and the destruction that she will bring upon him. And so she will become repugnant to him. So what do we have here, beloved? Well, we have the father's command to his son. Give me your ears. Listen. Verse 1 to 4. First, he does that very plainly, very clearly. And then he uses some images. He uses some figures. And then he gives this illustration, this dramatic life account. And then he gives him warnings. He tells him, listen and live. Disobey and die. So that's really the passage set out before us. Before we go into the text, let's pray. Lord, we pray for your help. We pray that you'd give us ears to hear. We pray that you would give us tender hearts. 
We pray, Lord, that you would search us and see if there be any evil way in us and lead us in the way everlasting. We pray that you would grant us the sight of your Son, our Saviour. For remember the words of the Scripture that says, By his stripes we are healed. O Lord, have mercy upon us and grant us your Spirit to apply these truths to us. In Jesus' name, Amen. So the first thing I want us to consider as we think through this text is how Solomon encourages his son to receive his words and to live. Look at verse 1 and 2. My son, keep my words and treasure my commands within you. Keep my commands and live and my law is the apple of your eye. So he is encouraging him First of all, to God, he is teaching. To God, the Father's teaching as his most precious possession. And really, beloved, everything revolves around keeping God's word, obeying God's word. The son is blessed to have a father, to have a mother who will teach him God's ways. And give him sound instruction. My son, keep my words. Treasure my commands within you. You think about the word words again. Keep my words. In contrast with the unfaithful wife, the adulteress. Because in verse 5 we read of this woman. That they may keep you from the immoral woman. From the seductress who does what? Who flatters with her words. In verse 20, rather than bringing life, she cast, verse 26, she cast down many wounded and all were slain by her with strong men. And so it is important for us to understand how we need to keep the words, the commands of Scripture given to us by parents diligently, how we are to treasure them in our heart, how they are to be ingrained upon us, Because they are the very means by which we are going to be able to live and overcome evil in this dark world. In Leviticus chapter 18 verse 5, this is what the scripture says. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, which if a man does, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. If Adam and Eve had kept God's word not to eat of that tree, And rebuked that serpent and chased that serpent away. They would not have fallen. The words of the Father are synonymous with God's commands. With keeping God's word. And you could say they are synonymous with the gospel. Because it is the gospel that gives us life, right? Remember what Jesus said in John 5, 24. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but it's passed from death into life. It's believing the word. It's laying hold of the word. In John 8, verse 51, Jesus said, Most assuredly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never see death. Sadly, so many people treat God's word as though it is a suggestion. It's filled with good moralisms and good suggestions. Oh, his word is life. 
And here is what Solomon is pleading with his son. Remember what I have taught you. Remember your father's law. Remember your mother's commands. Lay hold of them. And I think what he's referring to here, how his parents have, uh, how, how him as, as a, a father has carefully catechized and, and, and instructed his child. And he says, keep them as the apple of your eye. I wonder how many of you receive your parents' teaching and see it as treasure. Do you see it as your most prized possession? Because that's what Solomon is saying here. Really, when it really comes down to it, the teaching that you've received, the gospel, the words, the commands of Scripture, these are, are to be seen as the most precious thing you could ever possess this side of, of heaven. You think of the word, the apple of the eye, which is literally the middle of the eye, the most tender part of the body, right? And we guard our eyes fiercely. You go to a shooting range, the first thing you have to do is put on eye protection. Because your eyes are so sensitive. We guard our eyes, they're vulnerable. And all of these analogies that Solomon is giving us are bringing home this critical reality that we can't, we can't just have, have, have this, this, this cursory relationship with the Word. We've got to treasure it. These words are to be internalized. They are to be brought into the deeper and inner recesses of the soul. And he deepens his analogy. He says, tie them on your fingers as a reminder. Look at verse 3. What do you work with in everything you do? You work with your hands. And here the fingers are an analogy. A figure of how the word is to be part of everything you do. It's to be mingled in everything you do, in all of your thoughts and actions. Deuteronomy 11.21 says this, Therefore you shall lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul, and bind them as a sign on your hands, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You know, beloved, when we think of what Solomon is saying here to his son, And the relationship he's encouraging his son to have the, with the word. We see that that is culminated and brought into fruition in a way in the new covenant. In which the old covenant saints could not really fully comprehend. Not to say that they didn't have an intimate relationship with God. Maybe some of them did. But really this is fulfilled and culminates in the new covenant. Remember in Jeremiah 31 verse 33, this is what God says to Israel. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after these days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts and I will be their God. and They shall be my people. And this is the kind of thing that Solomon is appealing to his son about. Internalize these words. This instruction, let God do this glorious saving work in your soul through his transforming word. And notice the next analogy he uses in verse 3. Write them deep within your heart. 
These words must guide you. These words must be the very things that, that search out your heart. The word must be in the, in the, in the innermost part of your being. This is, this is what the new covenant does. This is what the gospel does. That is why I want to say to you, young people, don't tire. Don't get frustrated with your parents bringing the gospel to you. They may have many shortcomings and many blind spots, but they love you enough to bring you the gospel. Oh, you need to love them for that. In 2 Corinthians, Paul speaks about those who had received the word and the gospel, and he says, Clearly you are an epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh, that is of the heart. That's why you need to take their teaching, internalize it, and let God change you. And let God show you Christ in those words. And it is only when God has done that work in our hearts, when we have yielded to His Word, to His teaching and His instruction, which is brought to us through faithful godly parents or grandparents or leaders in the church, that Solomon, what Solomon says here makes any sense. Because then wisdom, the gospel, God's word will be not just as a, an acquaintance, but a family member. And he says that. Does he not? Look at the text. Look at the analogy he uses in verse 4 and 5. Love wisdom like the sister. And I think it's very clear in this text. That a passing acquaintance with God's word will have no effect on your life. In fact, it may even be used against you, and it often is. People who have this acquaintance with the word of God often end up becoming more wicked and evil. We must know God's word in our hearts. We must know the gospel in our hearts. Wisdom must be like a beloved sister. And this is strong language that Solomon is using here. He's using passionate language. He's using language of affection. This is, this is language of marriage. A sister of Israel, a woman of faith of whom you will be betrothed to. Listen to what he says in Song of Solomon. This is how your relationship must be to the gospel. He says this, you have ravished my heart, my sister, my spouse. You have ravished my heart with one look of your eyes, with one link of your necklace. How fair is your love, my sister, my spouse. How much better than wine is your love and the scent of your perfumes than all spices. A garden enclosed is my sister, my spouse. A spring shut up, a fountain sealed. Do you love God's truth like that? Do you love the gospel like that? Chapter 5, verse 1. I have come to my garden, my sister, my spouse. I have gathered myrrh with my spice. I have eaten my money, my honey. I have drunk my wine with milk. This is the language of regeneration. This is the language of a heart that is a heart of flesh. And what we see here is that the son is in an intimate marital relationship with God through the word. 
That's what happens when we come to Christ, isn't it? We are his bride. And he is our bridegroom. Psalm 119 verse 11 says this, Your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. And so it is this intimate, confidential relationship the son ought to have with wisdom, likened to his nearest kin, his sister, his wife. Beloved, I want to say to you that this is the most powerful deterrent which can fireproof our hearts from the lust of the world. See, we're dealing with the adulterous here, but we're not just dealing with a woman, we're dealing with the spirit of adultery. And it's what will protect you. It's what will help you through the raging furnace that you find in your flesh and the alluring snares of any illicit and forbidden lust. It is the word of God. It is a love for Christ. It is the expulsive power of new affections because that love never fails. And I said that last week. In order, he says, in order to keep you from the strange woman, from the foreign woman who flatters with her words. Have you built on the word of God, my friends? Because I'm telling you, when you face the challenges and temptations, that are coming your way in this world, if you have not built on the word on the word of God and on the gospel, you will be swept away. The statistics are horrendous of how many Christian young people have ended up in universities and have lost, supposedly lost their faith, turned away from the gospel. But let me move on. So there is this, there is this this exhortation to receive my words and live. And now there is this terrible warning, reject my word, my words and die. And here we have this illustration. In fact, it's, it's in typical form of wisdom liter- literature from Solomon. He, he sets a very tragic scene, very real. Now what seems to be a very personal narrative that unfolds before us. I want you to look at his observations here. Solomon sees through the lattice of his window. What does he see? He sees a harlot approaching a naive and simple-minded young man. And the first thing that Solomon highlights here is the seduction. Look at verse 6 and 7. For at my window, at the window of my house, I looked out through my lattice and I saw among the simple, I perceived among the youths, a young man devoid of understanding. Now I want you to notice where he is. Look at verse 8 and 10. Passing along the street near her corner, and he took the path to her house. In the twilight, in the evening, in the black and dark night, there a woman met him with the attire of a harlot and a crafty heart. I have a couple of observations I'd like to make. I want you to realize that this young man, this foolish young man, thought that no one saw him. Solomon observed him. 
Solomon saw him take her path, the path to her house. I want you to notice here that it was twilight. It was the evening. It was a dark night. And that is the nature of this particular sin. All sin is darkness. and All sin loves darkness. But this sin in particular thrives in darkness. We do it in secret. And we think no one is watching. Someone is always watching, friends. Someone is always watching. God is watching. God is looking upon you. Jesus warned his disciples and those who heard him, whatever would be done in darkness will be brought into the light. And scripture warns our sins will find us out if we do not repent of them and turn from them. Here's the reality. Scripture says we will be exposed. Job 24 verse 15 says this. The eye of the adulterer waits for the twilight. Saying no one will see me. And he disguises his face. God observes every click of the mouse. Every post we visit. Every lustful look we take. Every text we send. Every thought we entertain. Nothing is ever done in the dark. But you know what, beloved? We are caught in the grip of sin. We are naive and foolish and like this young man, we are arrogant and we think no one sees us and we think there are no consequences. God does not wink at our sin. God does not turn a blind eye. He will not. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. If we walk in the light. But if we carry on in this rebellion. He will not pretend. He will not forget. We will not escape the sting of the scorpion. Or the bite of this viper. How many of us. Can bear witness to this by experience. Notice how Solomon describes the seductress. And there a woman met him with the attire of a harlot and a crafty heart. She was clothed as a woman are in the world to seduce, flaunting her body so that she could catch him, so that she could snare his wandering eye. She just needed him to look, to gaze, to linger. And notice how she's described. She was loud and rebellious. Her feet would not stay at home. Let me pause for a moment here, beloved. It is so tragic that this kind of spirit is celebrated today, even in the church. This doesn't happen in a vacuum. But how often is it not that the church celebrates strong, dependent, free-spirited women who speak their mind, 
who are forward and aggressive and who get what they want, who despise submission, who reject what the scripture says a godly woman ought to be. And let me just share this with you as well, beloved. As I examine my own heart and my own life and my own family, we as Christian fathers can fail so miserably here. We can fail with our daughters. We can think to ourselves, we're not going to let our daughters be victims of lazy young men who are boys. And encourage them to, to, to go out and be independent and, and to be forward and to be able to provide for themselves. And to come under the authority of other men and, and to make their way in the world. Now I understand. This is contrary to the spirit that is so prevalent even in the church today. But let me ask the question as I asked myself. When I look at the world and I look at the young men and I think of my daughters. Am I acting in faith? Trusting that the Lord as I encourage them to be godly, gentle women. As I encourage them and I seek to protect them and provide oversight for them. And not throw them out into the world. Am I trusting the Lord? Or am I acting in pragmatism? Or unbelief? And furthermore, let me ask the question, is this mindset biblical? Does it square with what the scripture says? Because beloved, the reality of the matter is we are in the mess that we're in because we're not following the scriptures, but we're following the pragmatic spirit of the age. Let me share with you. Just one text of what scripture says about real biblical femininity. This is what it really is. And ask yourself soberly and honestly and truthfully. Does our view of biblical or femininity square with what the Bible says? 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 3 to 4. Do not let your adornment be merely outward. The arranging, the hair. Wearing gold or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and a quiet spirit which is very precious in the sight of God. Christian father and mother, what are you exposing your daughters to? Are you seeking to raise them according to the scriptures? It is a question we must ask ourselves and we must wrestle with and we must seek to come back to what the scripture says. Look at this immoral woman. She is loud and rowdy. She cannot wait to be free of her parents' yoke. She has learned how to manipulate with her emotions. Her heart is crafty. Proverbs chapter 9 verse 13 says, A foolish woman is clamorous. She is simple and knows nothing. Here's the problem is this woman is not content to be at home. Maybe it's because she doesn't find the protection and the covering and the loving leadership that a father ought to be giving her. These are good questions to ask. 
But one thing is, for clear, is very clear. She is never content to be at home. She denies God's calling to be a homemaker. And she has become a homebreaker. And one of the things that Solomon highlights about this woman is that she is restless. At times she was outside. At times in the open square, lurking at every corner. She lays in wait. She is a hunter, hunting souls, because she is unfaithful. She encourages those she comes into contact with to join her in her unfaithfulness. But I do need to say something to the young men. She finds victims who are idle and who are frivolous and who are not seriously minded young men. And oh beloved, our churches are filled with foolish young men who all they want to do is sit in their basement, their parents' basement and play games. All they want to do is look at TikTok videos and laugh and goof about. These are the young men. These are the men that she is hunting for. And she is like a shark. She smells blood in the water. And you are very vulnerable. Are you growing in the word of God? Are you coming under the authority that God has put over you? Are you learning? Are you being discipled? Do you have a heart that loves the truth? Listen to what Proverbs 23 verse 28 says. She also lies in wait for a victim and increases, listen to this, increases the unfaithful among men. I'm speaking to young men, but I could be speaking to any man in this congregation who's idle, who's bored, who's not serious about the things of God, who doesn't take the word of God seriously. Notice her action, friends. Look at verse 13. So she seizes him and kisses him. She is forward and brazen and shameless and impudent. With an impudent face, she said to him, Do you know what impudence, you know what impudence actually means? Well, this Hebrew word is used a number of places in the Old Testament. But let me share with you from Deuteronomy 28, verse 49 and 50 where it's used and it's used to warn Israel that if they depart from the Lord and are unfaithful they will come under the subjugation of nations who will be impudent this is what Moses says the Lord will bring a nation against you from afar from the end of the earth a nation hears the word impudence of fierce countenance which does not respect the elderly nor show favor to the young. Don't expect such a woman to care about your parents or to be bothered about any affection, concern for family members. Such is the heart of this woman, brazen and impudent. She has forsaken submission to God. She has forsaken submission to her parents. She will not submit to authority. She cares only for herself. She wants only what she wants. But Solomon adds something here which is very devastating. She is a woman who can pretend at religion. 
She's a woman who has a testimony. I have peace offerings with me today. I have paid my vow, she says. She uses her religious knowledge and perhaps she's even accepted in a particular religious community and she uses this to lure a young foolish man and take advantage of his rebellious and naive heart. Why should we be surprised, friends? Because Satan appears as an angel of light. Look at verse 15 to 20. So I have come out to meet you diligently, seek your face, and I have found you. I have spread my bed with tapestry, colored coverings of Egyptian linen. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloe, cinnamon. Come, let us take our full of love until the morning. Let us delight ourselves with love, for my husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He has taken a bag of money with him and will come home at an appointed day. Listen to her reason. My bed is ready. My husband has gone away on a long trip. No one will know. All these words and these arguments are aimed at luring the young man in, breaking down his defenses, dispelling any fears. No one will know. And she catches him. Such a woman, an immoral, strange woman, has become a master at using all the senses, flattering and luring and appealing to and intoxicating the foolish young man's senses and his wandering eyes and his lustful desires. I want you to notice the progression here. Don't miss it. It starts with one little escapade to the morning. One little slip and now she's got her hooks in him and he's trapped and he sins with impunity. She says, my husband is away. We have plenty of time. And I want to say this to you, beloved. This is the nature of sin. Sin will always keep you longer than you expected. And sin will always do more damage and destruction than you could ever imagine. Naively, the young man thought he could indulge and know it not know, but the sense of the text is that it was well known to all. People could see. Ah. People have eyes. God had handed him over. And now he is a slave and he cannot resist. Look at verse 21. With her enticing speech she caused him to yield. With her flattering lips she seduced him. She became his conquest. She conquered him. That's the seduction. But let's consider the destruction. Look at verse 22 to 23. Immediately he went after her. As an ox goes to the slaughter. Or as a fool to the correction of the stocks. Till an arrow struck his liver as a bird hastens to the snare. He did not know it. It would cost his life. You know what Solomon describes this man as? Dumb 
and senseless, like an animal that sees no connection between the trap and the death that the trap will bring. In the same way, this foolish, naive young man has become so spiritually dull and dead and morally stupid, and he sees no connection between his sin and death. And at that moment, the stranger foreign woman became his authority. And all common sense went out the window. All notions of the word of God, all notions of the commands of God, all caring and concern of his parents went out the window. He blocked everything out. He would listen to those who were over him. Solomon describes how devastating this is, friends. Because though this was sweet on his lips, though this was sweet on his tongue, it has brought death. It has brought death. The pleasure-filled bedroom that was so vividly described, that intoxicated him, that moment of freedom, that liberation that he experienced has now become a place of death. It has now become a slaughterhouse. The first thing that was said of this foolish man, look at verse 7. As the traps were being laid, is that he was a young man devoid of understanding. The last thing now said of him, verse 23, is what? He did not know it would cost his life. He did not know it would cost his life. He is ignorant and foolish. Ecclesiastes chapter 9 verse 13 says, A man also does not know his time, like fish taken in a cruel net, like birds caught in a snare. So the sons of men are snared in an evil time when it falls upon them suddenly. Let me pause for a moment. I want you to understand what we're being told here by a man who knew. Sexual immorality kills us. It deadens us. It anesthetizes us. It cripples our judgment. It brings us into such spiritual darkness. It brings upon us such bondage. You know, I remember the story that someone told of a spider. A spider bites its victim. One bite, and it doesn't kill the victim straight away. What it does is it paralyzes the victim. And then the spider spins a web around the victim. And then the spider puts its egg sac there and the babies hatch. And the victim is paralyzed but still alive. And the babies of that spider suck all the internal organs of that victim that have become liquidized out. And that victim becomes mummified. A terrible way to die. Beloved, I cannot think of a more 
devastating picture and illustration of what sexual immorality does to young men. How it guts you. How it sucks the internal organs out of you. How it makes you eunuchs. How it makes you blind. Spiritually inept. Children. This is an evil thing. And beloved, it is a trap and a snare that once you're caught in it, only God himself can deliver you from it. And he does. If you turn to Christ and you cling to him. But let me move on. I want you to consider the twofold conclusion that Solomon gives to us here. And again, beloved, please hear this man's heart. He is under the inspiration of the Spirit. This is the heart of God. He is speaking as a father. He says, now therefore listen to me, my children. Pay attention to the words of my mouth. Again, I cannot help but say, and I know I've said it again, how much trouble would children spare themselves if they just listened to their parents, if they just took heed. How many young or older people could turn back and look down through the corridors of their life and think to themselves, if I just listened to my mom, if I just listened to my dad, I wouldn't be in the mess I'm in. Solomon gives an exhortation, listen and live, and then a warning, disobey and die. Look at verse 24 and 25, do not let your heart turn aside to her ways, do not strain to her paths. Scripture has one word to say to you, young men and young women too. And this temptation comes, flee, flee. We have two illustrations in the scripture, a positive and a negative one. There are others, but I'm going to use two. The first one where there was a fleeing was Joseph. And God spared him and God used him mightily. Joseph in Genesis 39, when Potiphar came to him and tried to lure him and he could have thought to himself, my brother sold me into slavery and God has forsaken me. And you know what? At the end of the day, I need to have a bit of me time. I need some pleasure for myself. How often don't we think that way? It's been a hard day. People have been rude to us and we can just go and indulge ourselves and we'll fall better. But we never do. All that happens is we die and we continue to die because of a selfish heart. But Joseph loved God. And you know what he said when he was tempted? In Genesis 39 verse 9, Potiphar came and she, Potiphar's wife came and she, she tried to tantalize him. He said this, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? God is watching. And she tried to grab him and what happened? She caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and ran outside. He'd rather run out of there half naked than be caught up in that wickedness. And you know what happened? It was used against him. And he ended up in prison. But he would rather honor and obey God and I'm telling you this, friends, 
You have no strength to stand against the sin by yourself. Think of David. David falls into sexual sin with Bathsheba. <laughs> 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel chapter 11 verse 2. Then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed and walked on the roof of the king's house. David should have been out with the kings at war. David was being idle. Just wasting away and idling his time, laying on his bed, enjoying his luxuries. Went out onto the roof of his house and from the roof he saw a woman bathing. And then listen to this. And the woman was very beautiful to behold. Why did, does the text say that? Because David oogled her with his eyes. He lingered. He looked at her. His heart began to be filled with lust. And before long, he was laying with her. Then David sent messengers and took her. And she came to him and lay with him. No one knew about it, right? David didn't suffer any consequences. Really? What happened to Bathsheba's husband? David murdered him. What happened to Bathsheba and his child? The child died. And what terrible shame it brought on Israel. The consequences are devastating, friends. And I want to say this to you. In verse 4, we are told we are to love truth like a sister. We are to love the gospel as though it is our, our, our companion. And I, I want to say that, that if you're a married man, this is what the scripture says. You are to love Christ. But how do you love Christ? You love, your, you love Christ by loving your wife as Christ loved the church. Ephesians 5, 25 to 29. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. You see, this is what the love of the gospel does. This is what God's word does, is it sets you free from your own selfish idols so that you can love another as Christ loved his church. And selfishly build her up and nurture her, let her become beautiful. Should I say selflessly, not selfishly. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes just as the Lord does the church. And let me say to you, young single woman, do you love your parents? Do you love them and respect them? Do you love the fact that they've taught you the scriptures? And maybe you haven't been in that relationship with parents that have loved you and taught you the scriptures. But what about your elders? What about your grandparents? Do you love them? Do you respect them? Do you submit to the teaching of the gospel, of the word of God? Do you love it? Do you cherish it? And you know what the scripture says? How are you to treat younger men in the congregation? As brothers. As brothers. Not as conquests, but as brothers. But for your own pleasure. And young men, honor and obey your parents. 
And treat young women in the congregation as sisters with all purity in the faith. And young men come to the church and they're tempted to look and say, oh, there's a potential, that's a potential. What an evil thing, what an evil mindset. It is not a gospel mindset. Treat young women in the congregation as sisters with all purity in the faith. Would you treat your sister like that? What about wives? Remember, you are to respect your husbands and submit to them as unto the Lord. For this is your reverence to God. Don't complain about your husband. Don't break him down. Don't usurp his authority. And remember, all the women, mothers, wives, teach the younger women to love their husbands. Titus chapter 2 verse 3 to 5 says, The older women, likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. That is life. That is contrary to this adulterous woman. To be discreet, chaste, homemakers. Oh, it's a curse today to be a homemaker. Oh, what bondage, what suffering. No, friends, it's liberty. It's freedom. It's beauty. And God blesses it. And every young woman in the congregation should long for it. And if you don't, something's wrong. Something's wrong. Discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. And we don't live like this. We bring such dishonor to God. And so the exhortation is to, to listen and live. And I've given some practical examples, but I must close and let me give the warning. Disobey and die. I want you to listen very carefully. Every man in this congregation needs to heed these words. For she has cast down many wounded and all who were slain by her were strong men. Her house is the way to hell, descending to the chambers of death. Now here is a reality, friends. I thought about this. She has cast down many wounded. How many men are not wounded because of sexual immorality and fornication in their lives? And I just want to say something to you because you need to hear this. If you don't stop it, if you don't repent of it, it will not stop until it has destroyed you. Your life depends on it. You must flee it. Or you will die. You will die. And all who were slain by her were strong men. They were strong men. Oaks in the faith. You think of Solomon, the wisest man. 
Solomon was destroyed by sexual immorality and adultery. David was damaged and badly wounded by sexual immorality. Samson, strong men, have been slain by her. Don't think you're safe if you are not walking with Christ. And the warning in the Old Testament is the same as the New Testament because this text says her house is the way to hell descending to the chambers of death. Oh, that's the Old Covenant. Oh, really? Oh, really? Let's go to Ephesians chapter 5. Let's see what Paul says about this sin in Ephesians chapter 5. Listen to what he says. Chapter 5 verse 5. For this you know that no fornicator unclean person nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. There is no place for this in your life. If you want this, you will have help. If you forsake this, you will know grace and mercy and forgiveness and you will, you will end up in glory. Let no one deceive you with empty words, says Paul. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not partake with them. I don't think we quite are willing to face the reality, friends, that the church is in the mess that it is in because we have so badly compromised and played around with this sin. There's no place for it. There's no place for it. And there is all of the grace of God to help us to say no to this. Paul says in Thessalonians, it is God's will. Your sanctification that you abstain from sexual immorality. He will and he can give you strength and grace. And thousands can bear witness to it. But you must bring it into the light. You must confess it. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 to 11. And I know I need to close. But this is what he says. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And that's why I'm hoping, friends, even what I said earlier on, to fathers about the way they care for their daughters and protect their daughters. Don't just poo-poo what I'm saying as some kind of old-fashioned, traditional, fundamentalist. No, that's the scriptures. Protect your daughters. And protect your sons. But Paul goes on and he says, and such were some of you. Yes, we can all bear witness to the reality that we have felt the pain of this sin, that its hooks have been sunken into us. But there is forgiveness and healing and we can repent of our sins because God has given us repentance and turn away. 
and be just as clean as the first day we first believed in Christ. Because if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us. This is what Paul says, and such were some of you. But you were washed, but you were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Stop being children. Stop being ignorant, foolish children and giving into this thing. And stand up and be men in Christ. That's what this text is saying. Because God has not given you a spirit of fear and condemnation. I don't want to misquote the verse. So I'm going to read it. 2 Timothy. Paul says... God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of what? But of power and of love and of a sound mind. It is yours in Christ. Come and lay hold of it and don't let it go. Amen. Father, your word tells us that we are to be still and know that you are God. Lord, we come to you and we pray for your mercy. And we pray for your Holy Spirit. Save what is lost and restore that which has been ravaged by sin. You are the only one who is able to make all things new. Have mercy on us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. To him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. And all of
what God's people said. 